Welcome to another episode of the Ironforge podcast. This is a podcast where I interview clients, entrepreneurs, team members, and investors to hear their unique take on entrepreneurship and the startup community. My name is Chris Roach. I'm, of course, your host. I'm delighted to say that on today's episode, I'm joined by one of my good friends, serial entrepreneur and CEO of Swine Tech, Matthew Ruder. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting someone on that I think has been as successful as, as you have been. It's been a, uh, a long ride from what I understand with your company. You've been at it many years and uh, it sounds like you're really getting to a, a point of being able to scale now. Getting there. Yeah, it's been quite the, quite the road trip so far. A lot of up and downs. Awesome. Well, if you don't mind, just tell me a little bit about your background uh, and how you, you know, ended up starting Swine Tech. Yeah, so my background is a country kid who was born in very eastern North Carolina, moved to where my family grew up, the Midwest, moved to Iowa, town of 10,000 people, actually lived in a, a town just adjacent to that of like 150 people. So country, worked with pigs, my dad, my grandfather, my great grandfather all had farms. Okay. So I grew up uh, working in that environment. My mother was in um, education and healthcare, and my grandfather was in, uh, I guess the one was in agriculture, but the other one was in real estate. So whether that was helping evict people, cleaning up evicted apartments, painting, whether that was uh, <laughs> doing stuff in the pig barns, it was very, I guess, blue collar, so to speak, growing up. Yep. Awesome. So this is, this is really a family business for you then. So this is a generation of, of pig farming that has led to being able to start that company. Yes. Yes. It's been, it's been pretty cool because I've been able to take snippets from the three I mentioned, agriculture, real estate from my, from my mom. And uh, when I went to college, I was actually planning on being an obstetrician. I was studying genetics and biotechnology. Okay. Uh, I wanted to get out of agriculture. My dad even said, find something other than, than the swine industry, find something different. But growing up, uh, they had taught me a lot of entrepreneurial things. Like I was hired on by a local pork producer to give vaccinations and sort um, a few thousand pigs that had come in. And uh, I found that as I got older, I was a lot quicker. And therefore, I really wasn't making the same amount of money. And so my dad's like, ah, just ask him for a, for a nickel a pig. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, I'll get cost per pig. Well, then I could work my butt off, get in and out quicker and make more money. And so little things like that, that I learned along the way, my family, my grandfather, they always cultivated that. But I got to college, uh, was working at Fairway because I also did that in high school. And I was just sick of, sick of carrying groceries. I was like, there's something much more for me to be doing right now. I, I, can, be making, I can be doing something a lot more uh, challenging. So I contacted a prior employer who then contacted he, a genetics company he knew and basically said, hey, I got a kid in Northern Iowa who's looking to work on a farm. That's not very common. Not many people are like, can you please find me a farm? Yeah. But uh, they got me a few interviews. It was actually, it was 11 of them, which was just crazy to me. I got to pick and choose where I wanted to go. Yeah. But in that environment, I got to have a management position, learn what it meant to onboard people in a high turnover industry, what it meant to cultivate passion and purpose within those people in this industry. And it was a lot of fun, but I eventually had to leave because again, I was planning to go to med school and uh, ended up working in a nursing home as a medication aide. And okay. in that experience is completely different, uh, but in a lot of ways, very similar. It's all about driving a high quality of care, making sure that these people 
are living their very best selves and the very best life possible in that moment. And nurses have technology today that they didn't used to have. And that's what's been able to drive this high quality of care. There were so many components of the technology used in healthcare that could be moved over to agriculture. And being able to see that cross domain, uh, mm -hmm. that opportunity, it, uh, it, it filled me with a passion to figure out, well, how do we bring this to agriculture? And so was that the, the eureka moment where you suddenly, you know, you're working with in that specific industry and said, this needs to be taken over, this needs to be transitioned over. And at that point, did you decide, you know what, I'm going to start a startup? Or did you say, I'm going to sit and think about this for, you know, two or three years? Or what, what was the next step when you suddenly realized that there's an opportunity here? So actually, it's funny because there wasn't a eureka moment. Uh, and that's why I challenge any new founder to think two, three, four years back. Think any, anything you've ever done in your life. Are there snippets that you remember that actually fit what you're doing today? Go because ahead. that eureka moment didn't hit me until a few years after we started Swine Tech. Okay. And I was working in the nursing homes. The University of Iowa just put out a, a message saying, hey, we got $3,000 as a, an award for a student with a good business idea. And one week prior my previous employer was, hey, did you ever figure out a way to solve the problem of mothers rolling on their baby pigs? Because in our industry, right. hundreds of millions of piglets die from them just getting rolled on by their mother during the birthing process. So I went to this info session and they were coming up with all these weird ideas. Like, wouldn't it be cool if you could like have a program where if I want a book from the library, a student can bring it to me and I pay him a dollar. I was like, this, these aren't real problems. These are like annoyances. Yeah. And uh, I walked in and I had previously talked to three or four pork producers, got all of their production data, laid it in front of these guys and went, boom, 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 boom. Here's proof. There's a multi-billion dollar flaw within our industry. And this is how I'd like to solve it. And they were like, you're the first one who ever brought data to one of these things. Oh, really? <laughs> and from there on, it was just the, the competitive fire of let's build something. Let's do this. It's a ton of fun. And that, com com that competitive Part of me is what really got me through my first year and a half and uh, I got think, the first product off the ground. I always talk with uh, entrepreneurs that have a, an athletic background and I always say, you know, if you're an athlete, you have that drive, you have that ability to go out there and, and compete and be hungry. But having grown up in the agricultural industry, I know from England, I, I never worked on a farm. I think I had a friend that, that owned a farm and I did two days on the farm. That's tough shit. That's not, that's no joke working on a farm. So has, being able to bring that part of your life into entrepreneurial and business, you know, how do you, how do you kind of instill that into, you know, what you do still day to day and even the way that the company operates, because that is long hours, working hard, grinding it out to get the results. Yeah. I, I still remember looking at the, uh, the timesheet going, Whoa, I hit a hundred hours this week. Like yeah, crazy things like that. And um, yeah, you, the, the resiliency of pork producers is incredible. I was actually just doing a podcast last week with this, uh, this global influencer in the pork industry from Canada. And he said, if I was ever to go to war, I'd bring pork producers with me because they're resilient <laughs> as hell and they never die. Yep. <laughs> a lot of things that hit this industry and pork producers find a way they don't die. And so finding a way, figuring out how to get through all the rough crap is something there. I loved sports growing up. I was never good enough to be great at sports. I was always yep. the one good enough at every sport but never great at anything okay so that always pushed me to try that much harder but uh yeah that resiliency that comes from everybody you see in agriculture you really don't know what's coming but you know you're gonna have to figure out a solution and that's why every farmer is a plumber a carpenter an electrician yeah. they're everything because they have to be
So having launched a startup in Iowa, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, before we kind of press the record, you're not in San Francisco, you're not in the Bay Area, you know, you're not in where these hot spots are for technology startups. And, you know, this really is a, a hardware software play from, from what I understand about the way SwineTech utilizes its, its technology. How were you able to, you know, go out and, and get the company onto the you know, initial first steps, raise that initial capital, meet with investors? Were they all local investors? Were you able to attract uh, investors from across the country? You know, how was those early years and those first couple of steps? So how it all started is after we got that initial, initial grant of $3,000, the University of Iowa had a summer incubator that also served as a capstone okay. uh, for one of their uh, degrees. And they were going to pay you, like they weren't going to pay you, but you're going to get the credits for free. So, okay, I might as well do this. This would be pretty cool. I can still do my work in the nursing home on the side and prep for med school. Uh, got involved in that. And one of the local accelerators that had just kicked off, uh, they had closed their enrollment, but they had seen that we were always taking every opportunity that came up. If anybody ever said, does anybody want to share about their business? We were always standing up and talking. We were trying to get in front of everybody and they liked that and so they pulled us into their incubator we went through a 90-day techstar style program where i like to say and they forced us to drop out of school too so going into that we had to choose to be school college dropouts our senior year <laughs> to do this program my my thought process and my co-founders thought process is we can always go back yes. there's nothing keeping us from going back and so we we dropped out went through this process process. And I think the thing we learned more than anything was how to fail fast mm -hmm. and how to develop the habit of putting eight to 12 hours of your day into your company, because that, that wasn't a habit. But by the time we left those 90 days, we couldn't stop spending full time working on our business. School yeah. became a night thing. Mm -hmm. We opened up the day so we could have meetings throughout the day and it just became full time from there on. But so, we got, we get, sorry, we got into that and Iowa, one of the cool things they did for all their founders was they would pay for all of your travel expenses tied to pitch competitions. Oh, so awesome. started applying to everything. So were you all over the country then just coast to coast applying to pitch competitions and pitching the company? Yep. All over the coast, even over into Europe. Uh, we were oh, really? in, in and, uh, Canada. Yeah. Our second pitch competition was in Canada. Oh, and, awesome. uh, yeah, we were everywhere. When you first went to these pitch competitions as a first-time entrepreneur, first getting to these pitch competitions, did you, how did you do in them? Did you start winning? Is that the moment you realized, shit, we got, it, we got something here? You started to get the traction or was it, you know, was it immediate failure? You know, how, how were those first couple of pitch competitions? So going through the Iowa Startup Accelerator, our first uh, nine months of business actually prepped us pretty good for these pitch competitions purely because we were able to go through so many pitch workshops and uh, we always took the approach, let's try something new. Let's try something crazy. And so they'd be like, well, that seemed a little dry. That was a little morbid. That was funny, but does not serious enough. And so we had fun with it. Went to our first pitch competition. And the, really the thing that held us back there was actually in the pig side. They asked us a pig question that they didn't believe my answer. And so we got third, but it was still money. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll never forget it though. We, we got money at the event. I hopped onto a plane. And then I had to spend my birthday sleeping in Chicago airport. So that was kind of my first pitch competition. 
<laughs> and that's just welcome to the life of uh, an entrepreneur. I think when you when you're first doing it, it's yeah. I, I've done that. I, I, I've slept in my car when I started my first company overnight. When I was driving back and forth from uh, Indiana or Minneapolis, and it's uh, yeah, it's you have to do whatever it takes at that point to to be able to kind of get those the, you know that first couple of, a little bit of traction with it. I won't sleep in a car anymore, or at least I won't spend a night in a car anymore. I, I did that no. in Tennessee. I was landing at one in the morning and I had a meeting at seven. So I said, why pay for a hotel? Mm -hmm. I'm sleeping in the back of this car. I don't sleepwalk. But that day I did. <laughs> I had a dream that for some reason my co-founder took the keys and went into Walmart and the car was off. So I get out of the car. I shut the door. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? And then I wake up and I realize I'm locked out of my car. So here I am in shorts, no shoes, no phone, car keys locked in the car. Mm -hmm. I have to go walk a half a mile to a hotel, borrow somebody's cell phone, call AAA. They got there in a couple hours, but figuring it was a nightmare. And uh, yeah, from that point on, I'm like, it's not worth it. I'm going to yeah, that's a unique, that's a unique story. I, I've never had that. I've slept in many a car um, and my car, when I was first starting uh, my, my startup, you know, seven or eight years ago was not, a, it was not a nice car. It was, you know, it was not, it was not well insulated. And I, I was in Wisconsin in the winter and it, I don't recommend it. It's uh, especially was, I was going up to Minneapolis a lot with my first startup and uh, we'd be coming back at four or five in the morning and I'd pull over just for a couple of hours. Cause I was just exhausted to drive. And it's uh, yeah, you wake up with, uh, uh, frost on the inside of the window that's not a yeah, not a good cold. not a good feeling with it um so when you, you started the company you were able to get into these pitch competitions and um, was that really the the gas that allowed you to grow in the early years were you making sales were you you know how do you how did you get the capital to do this because you know you're a student you know full-time kind of in the in the purpose of of running the business at this point are you making cash with the business or are you still pre-revenue we were pre-revenue. So the, the, the technology we were trying to build was this uh, voice recognition enabled uh, technology of going to a farm and prevent a little piglet from getting laid on by listening to its squeals, triangulating its position, and then alerting a mom to stand up with operant conditioning. But within that, I had, we had to develop the, uh, the voice recognition component, the triangulation yep. component, because there's hundreds of pigs. How do we put something on a pig? And then how do we communicate to a pig to get it to stand up safely? And the hardware, the, the engineering, I wasn't an engineer. My co-founder wasn't an engineer. He's more on the manufacturing, just into computer science. Okay. So building that team, it was going to take too long. So what we did was we um, developed prototypes along the way to validate the various chambers of those four inventive uh, pieces. But we were able to raise a little over $350,000 through pitch competitions. Okay. And that allowed us to justify enough to go raise a seed round from a lot of the mentors and advisors that we had worked with over the year and a half uh, as a part of that process. And just to clarify, you raised $350,000 through pitch competitions. You're not giving any way, away any equity at this point, correct? Yeah, no equity given away at that point. Now, you see, that's where I think most entrepreneurs make the first mistake is I'm going to go and raise capital. So I'm going to go and get angel investment. I'm going to give up 5, 10, 15%, whatever it is of my company for $100,000, $250,000. You've proven that you can raise $350,000 without giving any equity. You've just got to be willing to put yourself out there and attend pitch competitions and you've got to be good at pitching which you have to be yeah. able to you know to be good at, to, to have any successful company and even to raise the capital initially um unless you have someone on your board that is you know has that pedigree then you have to be good at, at pitching and selling your company but to be able to do that i think is a tremendous achievement and really it sets you up for success because you've now got runway to be able to do that a lot of the clients and, and early stage entrepreneurs that we talk to say hey, i'm going to go and raise you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars but they're not out there every day hustling being able to put it in front of people that you can win money doing that and i think that just is detriment to you know to your attitude when you first started the company 
Yeah, I think with business pitch competitions, they're they're all different. They're all unique. Understanding the rubrics are extremely important. But we went to one that was in the Microsoft one uh, back in like 2016. And when we were presenting in this thing, they had three stages. And in our first stage, the judges basically told us when we ranked the top 25 companies to go to the next round, you were 23. Why? Yeah. Figuring out why am I 23? So now we're not solving the problem of our business. We're solving the problem of our pitch. Yeah. Figuring out what the heck is it? Well, in an hour, you iterate the pitch, you go on. I was fourth of five. Iterate again, and we won. And so your audience, what they're looking for, it's all very different. And if you have one pitch, you're going to go to every competition. It's not going to work. We had to iterate it for every single competition we went to. And it, it was fun. It could be addicting, but oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure yeah, it, it's a ton of fun. I, I mean, I think it's, it's great advice. You know, you, you have to, you, you pitch for the judges. You don't pitch, you know, for, for yourself. It's not your pitch has to adapt for whatever judges panel is there. And you, not every pitch competition has the ability to have multiple rounds and get that feedback, you know, to be able to progress through the competition. A lot of them are one and done or it's 10 companies a pitch and, you know, here's a $15,000 check to wow. the first place. So you don't always have the opportunity to iterate in between pitches, but you always have the opportunity to iterate in between pitch competitions. And, and that's where... You do also have the opportunity to iterate during a pitch. And this is where I would challenge people to start with a script, get it down to the mm -hmm. point where you can ad lib as much as you want through your pitch. You could do it in your sleep. If you shut off the computer at the beginning, you could still finish it. Because when you watch the judges, watch the audience, you'll start to pick up that they're falling off or that they're gaining, or maybe you're, yeah. maybe you're too aggressive. Maybe you're too quiet. Maybe you're not funny. And adjusting the rest of your pitch in a way where you know you're going to be able to pull them back in, that's, that's a big part of it. And uh, you really have to know, your, know your, your story really well to do yeah. it. And yeah, like you say, being able to read the audience, you have to read, read the room. It's not as simple as, as reading up a script. And I think the, the earlier entrepreneurs that I've seen in that experience when I was in college and, and seeing other people in college have done that. And then from what I see now, when we're looking at, you know, with pitch competitions in San Diego and Los Angeles and, and larger, you know, larger environments, it's a much more of a, it's an increased comfort level and being able to read that room. And it all comes from practice. You may not win the first one you get, go to, you may not win the first 10 you go to, but right. If you continue to improve at some point, you're going to start having that traction, just like with a, you know, with a startup, you, you may not get the first sale straight away. It, it's all, it's about, you know, rinse and repeat and being able to, to not be knocked down by that adversity, which is where I think is, is the good and strong trait of, of any entrepreneur really. Yeah. I've heard founders say, I don't think I'm going to go for my business. I haven't won uh, any of the three competitions that I've been in. Whoa. Yeah. Not some businesses just aren't fit for business plan competitions. Yeah. It's just not. And you can pitch all you want, but it's not what society, the business site, what, what people are looking for in that moment. We were ag tech before ag tech was cool. Mm -hmm. We did have that on our side. We yeah. had piglets we were saving from dying. We had that on our side. Everybody has an opportunity to pitch as a part of their business. You've got to figure out what people are going to care about. I would, I would say that though, like just because you're not health tech, just because you're not something else, there is a pain point that it could mean life or death to people. Understanding yeah. your pain point to its vastest uh, degree is what's going to help you win paint pitch competition. So understand the problem before you go off and start pitching. And I think creating the story around that, it's very easy to say, you know, we have a billion dollar market. If we just get 1% of it, we're going to do X amount, which, you know, get lost. You know, <laughs> everybody has the same logic. And the amount of people, we have a $3 billion industry and we're just going to go after, you know, 1% of it. That's not good enough. You know, I'm sorry. It's not good enough. It, it doesn't, 
that doesn't that doesn't scream that you know what you're talking about and it doesn't have a story and statistics are great and you have to have them in a pitch and you have to be relevant but you have to have a story as to why somebody should want to to really invest in you the same reason you have to have a story as to why somebody wants to buy from you you know it, it's all about creating a story around your message and you know we did a recent podcast um with uh, a couple of uh ladies that we've been working with out of philadelphia and they have a great company mission and for them the whole company is about a company mission now with you you're saving lives that's the you know that's the the, the story and the mission you have is that you're able to save lives and if you can lean into that as much as you can you're always going to do better than saying you know yes we're going to make this much profit you know per per pig that we save it's not it's not what people care about it's not hitting a pain point yeah when you realize that you're there to entertain you're not there i mean when you're truly in those competitions you're there to entertain yeah and if you see yourself as an entertainer as a showman you are right in line with where you probably need to be thinking that i mean that's your job in that moment is to entertain mm-hmm now, just to kind of shift gears a little bit, and uh, I should say, I mean, I've known you now for five years, four years, uh, I forget, to be honest with you, I forget how long it is, um, you know, through, through different organizations, and, and one of the organizations we met was through Future Founders, which, uh, you know, is a company based out of Chicago. One of the things that I will say, having known you over an extended period of time, you are one of the better entrepreneurs that I know from the conversations that we've had about managing investor relationships. Now, you've raised a tremendous amount of capital. And therefore, it is important to keep investors, you know, in the loop and be able to manage those relationships. But for some entrepreneurs, you know, they're not as, as, as strong as that particular component. How is it that you actually manage those relationships and make sure that when somebody does invest in your company, they feel confident and then, you know, hopefully they'll invest again in the future. You know, what are the steps that you take to make sure that investors, you know, are comfortable with the way a project is going and the company is moving? Yeah, from our side, what we did is we just got feedback from all of our investors asking them what they thought was best. What did other founders do well? What did other founders do that failed? Uh, but some of the things we can learn from that and sharing is like we, I had the opportunity through an EO event to be on a judging panel next to the investment manager from Art Cuban. And I was asking him those questions, like with all of these founders that you guys are working with through all these Shark Tank things, like how do you actually work with them? And he says, well, the most annoying thing that we have is people that don't tell us what's happening. Like Mark would prefer to have things every week or every two weeks, because if something happens, that's a problem. He can raise his hand and go to figure out if he can help solve it. Most investors aren't going to want every week or every two. No. Every month is just about preferred by everybody. And so what we did is we put together a mix of a story tied with metrics, kind of how do you let them in to what your world has been like for, for uh, 30 days. I have my, my co-founder, our heads of their engineering team, put together snippets of their month. So everybody kind of feeds into this. I get all of this information and I craft a message that you can read in a, in a minute or two. Oh, yeah. And we call it the, uh, the monthly squeal, or I think we just call it the squeal now. Okay. The pigs. And so we send the squeal out at the beginning of every month and everybody knows how much cash is on hand, how we're doing on sales, how we're doing on product development. And we put it in an easy to read format and uh, it, we make, make, we make it fun. Yeah. And uh, I think that helps a lot. No, that's awesome. And as you know, as a CEO, obviously I'd imagine your role has changed significantly from being in going to pitch competitions and, and really being the, the top salesman, I'd imagine to where you are now, you know, how has that role changed over the last, you know, five or six years that you've been doing this? It's changed a lot. You wear a lot of hats and it kind of depends on the quarter, to be honest. So when we're fundraising, you know, going out there and making sure the company has capital is important. I think, what was it? Uh, we need to make sure that uh, the company has capital, that we have really great people 
and that there's a vision for the company. And if you have, if you paint a vision, you hire really great people and you make sure you always have money. That's the role of a CEO is, is what I was told. And uh, you're going to bounce substantially between I've been a headhunter and I don't like it. But when you start to learn how to do it well, it becomes a lot of fun and there's nothing more there, there, there. I mean, it's so exciting to bring on people to your team, adding that new team member, bringing them into that culture, that onboarding experience. It's really fun. But being the guy on LinkedIn asking you, hey, do you want to try another job? Like, it's not a fun offer. It's not a fun thing to do. But you do it and you learn how to be really good at it because that is your job. Yeah. Fundraising, going out there and asking people for money and to be a bigger part of your, of, your, of, your, of your company. If you have a negative mindset, that isn't going to be much fun. You're just asking for money. But if you have a positive, mind, positive mindset that you're going to build something with these people and you're not only going to change the impact of the company and your industry, but maybe even help them. Um, make some money in the process too. It can be a lot of fun working with investors. But right now we, we have the capital, we have the people. I'm a sales guy. I'm out there working with our customers, making sure that we get new, new, uh, new barns filled with our technology, making sure that the customers we have are happy, working with our CEO and our COO and co-founder to make sure that the processes are, are all working and even offering feedback on the product development side. So uh, the world of multiple hats hasn't really changed but I have been able to compartmentalize a little bit more on what am I focusing on yep. and uh, focus on being the very best uh, self in that area. Awesome. It's, and again, I just think it's interesting to see how it, how it can change because I know from my own company when, you know, when I started it, even to, to where we got within, you know, two years time, you suddenly, you're not doing the same things. You've got to delegate, you've got to take a step back. And at some point you've got to work on the business, not in the business. And that I think is a really hard step for a lot of, you know, early stage CEOs and founders to make is that you've got to take a step back at some point and trust that the team that you put together, you put them together for a reason and you've hired them for a reason and that they're going to be able to take on a lot of responsibility of, of really what you were doing when you were working 18 hour days. Now, I'm not saying that you, you know, have to put like the foot off the gas, but you can start to kind of take a step back and, and focus big picture uh, rather than necessarily being involved on the, the day-to-day activities. Now, over the last couple of years, you've got a tremendous amount of press and, you know, you're also, you know, Forbes, third under 30, you've won awards from Microsoft, MIT, Princeton, American Farm Bureau, Entrepreneur of the Year. Is there something that you're doing to get in front of the press or is it just coincidence? You know, do you have an amazing press team? You know, how is it you're able to, to, to really showcase your project or is that come from pitch competitions and just putting yourself out there? You know, what advice do you have to someone that's starting to, to receive this kind of press? Because ultimately that's free. That's free traffic to your website. It's free. You know, it's, it, it's showcasing your business and it's not costing you anything to do that. What advice do you have for someone that's trying to achieve that? Yeah, I think some of that was luck, but I think a lot about it was making sure that every, I guess, understanding the press, right? Like you would understand an investor, understand a customer, everybody who's working for these, um, these companies, they're looking for stories. They're wanting to tell something uh, that's amazing. And if you can craft a story in a way and help them feel as though they're the first ones to, to put it out there, you're going to get some bites. Pitch competitions helped a lot because everybody wants to talk about who won. Yep. And that gets you in the door. But once you, once you get a bite of something big, you need to be prepared to leverage the heck out of it. Whether that, because if, if let's say wall street journal hits you up, well, the likelihood Forbes and cheddar TV and all these other media companies are going to want to do the same is, is very high, especially okay. your local. So I'd start local first of all, because those are the easier ones to get mm -hmm. start to work your way out. 
within pitch competitions too, is everybody wants to write about the winner and everybody also feels comfortable investing in the winner, right? It's like okay. social gratification. Like yep. if this company fails, you still made a wise investment. Mm -hmm. If this company fails, it's still a good story. So those pitch competitions can really help drive comfort on other individuals uh, helping you get to that next stage. Do you leverage that as striking while the iron's hot? If you've just got off the back of a win at a pitch competition, are you then hitting every investor at that event or are you just publicly announcing, hey, we won this to anyone that you've been kind of prospecting as an investor? And is that something you've been able to leverage effectively? So we, we put it in our investment stuff. I think uh, more as supporting evidence though, not as something right. right out there. I think from a, if I could do it all over again from a press standpoint, knowing that we were winning the way we were, I would have hit certain press ahead of time and been like, Hey, yeah. I'm showing up to this. Yeah. If I win, I'll ping you and you can be first. And then I can specifically pick the company that I want to put out the press release. And the okay. other one who already thinks they have the advantage is going to put it out anyway. So now I get two instead of one, but uh, with investors, it's, it's just living in the moment at the competition, getting to know them, having a good time. You're, I, I wouldn't be pushing investment, just push, push, get to know these people. Mm -hmm. Um, just have fun. Try to live in the moment. Uh, heard a quote the other day. It was like, life isn't a game worth to win. It's a game to be played, right? Yeah. Like we're here, to, we're here to play it. We're not here to win it. So yeah. just have fun playing and yeah, I, everything will work itself out. Yeah, one of my one of my favorites. Yeah, life's about the uh, the the journey, not the destination. So yeah. it's you know ex exact same you know momentum with that, and uh, you know it, it's about enjoying every step. And with especially with startups, I mean, one of the things that uh, always kind of makes me laugh when people say, you know, I want to start a startup. And you're thinking the chance of success here is you know, less than five percent at this point. But every entrepreneur comes into it with the exact same attitude. And as you continue to do more and more startups, and you start your own company the chance of, of success doesn't really increase to be honest with you, but you've already made the same mistake. So every time you get a little bit further and that's where I think entrepreneurship, it, it, it's about attrition. It's about rinse and repeat and whatever company is you're starting. If the company succeeds, fantastic. If the company fails, fantastic. There are a lot of lessons to learn just by starting a startup company. And that's where I, you know, I encourage everyone, especially people in, in, in school and in university, start a startup. Why not? There's, there's literally nothing to lose yeah. by doing it. And there are so many resources out there for you as a student to be able to start a company and, and just see where it goes because it could be the next big unicorn. It could be just a great company. It could be a total flop, but you're going to learn a lot either way. Yeah. And you don't even have to come up with an idea, right? Like that's something I completely don't understand is people are like, well, I can't think of a good idea. Well, okay. Either you come up with a good idea and you pay yourself out of your own business when you graduate or you don't and you have to go find a job. Yeah. Well, if you're actually going and doing customer discovery in an industry you love, mm -hmm. you're going to be talking to the CEOs or some of the decision makers around what are their bigger pain points? How can we solve it? And even if you don't come up with a business that has traction coming out of college, you're going to have a lot of job offers. I've, I've well, seen that's... so many entrepreneurs. Yeah. That's, that's where it's interesting. Your network is suddenly exponentially oh, better and that's yeah. and again and i mean i i remember joking with uh i know a, a good friend that we both have uh, adam hoffman and we always talk about when you're you know when you're starting off and you're trying to make sales you go in there and i'm just looking for feedback i don't want to make a sale i'm not trying to sell you anything i'm just looking for feedback on a business idea and in the back of your head all you're thinking is i've got your contact i've got your name we now have a relationship when the time comes you're gonna be the first person i call to try and close on this project but you can go in there especially when you're a student startup use a student email going in there with the guise of i'm just looking 
give the feedback on a concept and I, I just want to see where it goes. It's, uh, it's a very valuable position to be in and something that I think every student needs to really, you know, take advantage of and be able to, to kind of take that leap of faith. I think they see through it. I think they know that we're, we're, we're thinking oh, 100%, down the Yeah. But if you can go in and ask intelligent questions and have a coherent conversation, they're going to respect you that much more in that moment. And that's just building that relationship, right? You genuinely are looking for feedback. You genuinely are looking for, to build that relationship. But our, us entrepreneurs, if we don't make money, we're going to fail. Exactly. So we're always thinking about the end dollar. Yeah, you know, exactly. Well, I guess, you know, final question as, you know, as a successful entrepreneur that's been this and you know, you've launched a, a very successful business at this point, what's the one piece of advice that you would have for someone that is at that point of being ready to start a, a company and maybe, maybe they're 18 years old in college, maybe they're 55 years old and looking to take a step back from their corporate job. You know, what piece of advice would you give someone that is considering making that jump right now? So I waver between a couple. So I'll throw in a couple and do it timely manner. So from a standpoint early on, customer discovery, we learned how to do customer discovery. We knew what we wanted to do. We had a couple of customers we were talking to. We wanted to run. We wanted to succeed. We wanted to do great things. I did not take advantage to customer discovery to the fullest degree as I should have. And in some ways it became an annoying buzzword. And I was like, no, I'm, we're going, we're going, we're, we got this, we have it down. Uh, when we hit COVID and we had to reimagine our entire business because our business model was inverted with packing plants going down, I had to do customer discovery. I did it with over half of the industry. It was a nine month long process as we were developing. I, I couldn't have done it without following the process that I was previously taught by many of the mentors and advisors and accelerators along the way. So customer discovery, appreciate it, learn how to do it really well and it will pay off. The other one would be when you're hiring, when we started out hiring, we, we really needed people. And it was really hard to get good engineers to step away from their careers to go work at a startup that had just raised a minimal amount of money compared to what they were normally working with. Mm -hmm. And we unfortunately were putting off the message of, come work for us, it's gonna be a ton of fun and we're gonna get work done in the process. But what we really wanted was, we're gonna go bust our ass and we're gonna have fun doing it. Yeah. That message attracts very different types of people. Mm -hmm. Stick with whatever message is genuinely yours. Do not, do not yeah. let yourself twist it to try to influence others to join your team. Take the time to find the right people. Because if you're not hiring on your true, genuine thoughts, even, even step back and figure out if you're lying to yourself. Mm -hmm. If your message truly doesn't resonate with yourself, you have a lot less headaches. You're going to go a lot faster. You're going to have a higher likelihood for success. And I would imagine the chance of retention is significantly higher because... Yes. Having someone leave the company, you know, it sucks because there's a lot of money and training gone into getting that person ready to do that job that you hired them for. And if they leave, it's, you know, you're back to square one in a lot of cases, unless you can bring someone in or you have someone that you've been prepping to kind of step up to there. Um, so, uh, you know, having a high retention of employees is crucial to any startup being able to succeed. If you continue to have churn of employees, you're always going to struggle to be able to really reach that next level because you don't have the staff to do it. Yeah, just about every single person that isn't with Swine Tech that was at one time is amazing. They're great people. They're super talented. It just wasn't the working environment that either of us were work looking for. And figuring that out sooner or later, figuring out yourself before you even get to that point is just so important. 
No, I, I agree 100%. Uh, well, Matthew, I, I do want to be respectful of your time and I really appreciate you coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure interviewing you, you know, throughout this podcast. We will be posting this video on podcast shortly. If you are out there listening and you're an entrepreneur and you would like to be featured on this podcast, you can reach out to me directly at roach at ironforge.co. Otherwise, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Matt. Thank you.